good to see all of you guys. Welcome this weekend. We're in a series right now called uh, What If, and we've been talking about the point of life, right? So we've been talking about the point of life, and we just said, what if, what if it's more? What if it's not the grind? What if it's not success? What if it's not the job? What if we are eternal, that God created us to live forever? What if the impact of our life is actually meant to echo forever, that there should be an eternal impact, not just a you only go around once kind of a mindset? And what if we live that way and those were the things that defined us and directed our lives? And so we've been talking about that and we've been talking about it kind of in terms of spiritual growth. We've been looking at this graphic a lot and we said that this is kind of the way that life works, that before the cross, uh, the little outline there, the Bible says that we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. That's the way, the way the Bible describes someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. That because I'm separated from God, because sin uh, drives my life, and by the way, the Bible says every human being, this is true for you and I, every human being sins and falls short of the glory of God, that I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, I live in darkness, I'm not in the light. These are all the ways that the Bible describes that idea. And then the Bible says this, the way to come out of that, the way to receive salvation is to agree with what God says uh, in the Bible. So God says that I'm a sinner, right? I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. And then God says that Jesus is the only path of salvation. So when I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin, my sins are cleansed. I move from death to life, from darkness to light, and I am born again spiritually. Those are Jesus's words, that you must be born again. And so after I move from that, I move through the cross, I'm born again, and now I am a spiritual infant. So I can't grow spiritually until I've been born again because I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. Now I'm a spiritual infant. A spiritual infant, when they think about their relationship with Christ, kind of the depth of, of their understanding would be, I'm not going to hell anymore, right? So if you've accepted Christ in the last day or two or week or two or even month or two, and you're like, that's me, I'm like not going to hell and I am super jacked about that. There's a God that loves me and I can interact with him and that's what I know. I would say, awesome. Like you are exactly where you should be spiritually and downloading that and understanding that is, is huge and awesome and the beginning of your spiritual growth. But when we look at the chart, we don't stay babies, right? Babies don't stay babies. Unfortunately, babies grow up. So babies don't stay babies. They become children. And a child, the Bible would say a spiritual child would have the mindset of a student. So it's in this phase of my spiritual growth that I'm discovering what the Bible says. Did you know the Bible says this? Did you know the Bible says this? Did you know that God's not out to get me? He's out to love me? Did you know that God is like this? Did you know about these things? And it's a, it's a blast. It's a fun part of life where I'm learning the Bible and I'm learning the heart. And I'm learning the mind of God, which is most easily accessed through the Bible. And so I'm taking that stuff in and learning it and kind of my mind is opening up about God, and that's fantastic. It's a phase of my spiritual growth. It's not the point of it, it's a phase of it. So you can know the Bible inside and out six ways to Tuesday and in different languages, and it doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. It means that you have a good memory, right? Which is fine, but it's not thoroughly what God is calling us to do. It's a 
point of our maturity as we move forward. So I move from infancy, I move to childhood, and then I become uh, an adolescent, right? It's the way we think of it as a teenager. And the mindset there is that Jesus is Lord, and I'm conforming my life or submitting my life to what he would want me to, to do. So Jesus says this, or the Bible says this, the Bible teaches this, and I'm starting to change my life to align with the heart and mind of God. I'm accepting the things that God says. I'm come under, coming under the authority of God's word and I'm becoming a different person and that's starting to define my life and how it works. And that is a point of maturity. So me like growing up and like getting my act together, I stop smoking, drinking, chewing, date girls who do, cheering for Michigan, that kind of stuff. Like that, that's a part of growing and submitting myself to God but not the end result. The end result is adulthood where Jesus says, I become a friend of God, where now I'm loving the things that Jesus loves, I'm living for the things that Jesus lives for, I'm being the person that Jesus would want me to be, and I'm a friend of God, and that is marked by co-laboring with God. I'm working with God for the, thing, for the same things that's on the heart and mind of Christ is on my heart as well. And that's the level we've been talking about here these last few weeks. It's been a big conversation. If you've missed part of it and wanna catch up on it, go out to our website, graceoha.org. It's all there. You can watch it or listen to it or get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want to sign up for that. And you can fill in all these blanks. I want to continue to advance that conversation a little bit and talk about what that means to co-labor with God. We, we laid down this idea that as a Christ follower, as a Christian, the idea that I co-labor with God is this, that every environment I enter, whether it, work, school, the, the, the gym, whatever it is, right, whatever environment I enter, I enter with the mindset that I'm gonna co-labor with God in his rescue efforts of the souls of that environment that I am going on God's behalf or I've been placed there by God to proclaim the, the truth of who God is. And that idea we're calling the priesthood of all believers. And that's a term that comes out of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter two, says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The Bible says in Corinthians that if I'm a follower of Jesus, right, that I've received the forgiveness of my sin and now I'm living for the one that died for me, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then the ministry and the message of reconciliation has been entrusted to me. I now serve as an ambassador of Jesus Christ as if God himself were making his appeal through me. I'm a co-laborer with God, priesthood. Now as a priest, I'm looking and saying that I've been called out. In, in the Old Testament, uh, God's plan was that if you wanted to find God, you would go through the priest. The priest would explain God to you. The priest would illustrate God's holiness or love to you. Uh, the, the priest would teach you how to have your sins reconciled. When Jesus died and rose again, he shuffled the deck a little bit and he says, now if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you receive your salvation and you live for the one that died for you, you are the priest. You are the body of Christ. The ministry, the message of reconciliation is entrusted to you. That's what we do now. We do the work of helping people be reconciled, be made right with God, sinners finding their savior and living their life in, in alignment with God's word. That work, that message is ours, see? And we co-labor with God. We are the ambassador of Jesus Christ. It's the priesthood of all believers. And the key idea with priesthood is ownership, ownership. That when I walk into an environment, 
I look at the people there and I think these people are my responsibility. God placed me here as salt and light, terms that Jesus uses, to, to affect this environment for the cause of Christ. Now, not, not only does God call us to that, that, by the way, is the meaning of life for every human being, right? To know Christ and to make him known. So not only does God call us to that, but he also equips us to do it. And we talked about this last weekend. Uh, God says this in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And we've said that here at Grace, we call this being shaped by God, that God has given us spiritual gifts, God has given us a heart, he's given us abilities, he's given us a personality and life experiences. And he has equipped you or shaped you, he has custom built you to be successful at the things that he called you to be a part of. And as we engage that shape, it kind of empowers our priesthood and we're able to be used to reconcile the the people in our lives to a right relationship with Christ, okay? Now, I wanna take us another step further into this. This is where if you've missed some of it, it may be good to catch up with it. I wanna take you a step further into this and I wanna show you how the depths of the Christian life are really found by embracing this priesthood, embracing our shape and embracing the body of Christ or the church, okay? So if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ and, and uh, church is like this new thing for you, uh, what's gonna happen here for the next few minutes is I'm gonna explain why the church works the way that it works and why it even exists, okay? So that, that'll probably be your, your walk away. Hopefully some of those light bulbs will come on. If you uh, grew up in church and church is always a, has, was always a drudgery to you, I, I was like this. I grew up in church and like church was like a sentence for me. It was, it was the part of my weekend I didn't look forward to. And the pastor would preach and he'd pound the pulpit and I'd watch the clock and, and just do my best to get out of there, right? And so if, if that has always been kind of your interaction with the church, that it's a duty, it's an obligation, it's something that I'm stuck doing, I want to explain to you why that has happened and how it can come alive and why it's such a critical part of your relationship with Christ. And then if you're enthusiastic about the church and you're saying, yeah, my my life goal is to live for the one who died for me. I want to go deeper and deeper in my relationship with God. I'm going to explain to you how to do that and how the church of Jesus is a huge part of our personal interaction with Jesus, okay? So we're gonna cover all that ground here this weekend. Let me show you this verse. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Uh, God says this, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. When Jesus talks about the church, he talks about the church in several ways, and he talks about it in context of everyone who's a follower of Christ, right? So when you, follow, when you become a follower of Christ, when you accept Jesus as your savior, you're born again, or whatever term you put on it, a bunch of things happen at once, right? So when I accept Christ as my savior, the Bible says, uh, immediately my sins are forgiven. So my, my heart is washed whiter than snow, and my sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west, my sins are forgiven. Uh, another thing that happens when I accept Christ as my savior is the Bible says I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's an old fashioned way of saying like God comes and lives within me. So the Bible says my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with me wherever I go. I'm not God, God is with me. 
Another thing that happens is you're given a spiritual gift. We talked about this last weekend. You're given at least one, sometimes more, but you're given a spiritual gift. It's a part of your shape to help you do what God has called you to do, right? Now, ready? Here's another thing that happens when I accept Christ as my Savior. When I accept Christ as my Savior, I become a part of the church, right? I'm called out by God, and I become a part of the spiritual entity called the church. It's actually a part of, or it it works in conjunction with my salvation, that I'm a part of the church. So as much as my sins are forgiven, I become a part of the church. Now, when God talks about the church in the Bible, he usually talks about the church through word pictures. And there's several different word pictures he uses when he talks about the church. So God calls the church um, his bride, is one of the ways that God describes the church. And he would say Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride of Christ, okay? Another way that God talks about the church is as a family. So he says the church is the spiritual family of God. He'll kind of use that analogy. Uh, Another way that he talks about the church is as the body. So he says the church is the body of Christ. We're the physical representation of Christ on earth. And he'll use kind of that analogy as he's talking about the church. And that's the one that we're going to look at this weekend. So when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, you could say the parts of the church. God has placed the parts of the church, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So here's what happens. When you accept Christ as your Savior, God starts to work with you individually. So God convicts you of your sin individually. God's kindness draws you to repentance, the Bible says, individually. The Bible says that you individually are valuable to God. God decided before the foundations of the earth were laid that you were going to be on the planet. He decided when you were going to be on the planet. He decided which piece of dirt you were going to be on the planet, what part of history you were going to be at on the planet, and who was going to be in your life. That is something that God decides ahead of time. The Bible says that as you were growing in your mother's womb, God knit you together. He shaped you. God gave you your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your life experience. He, he knit you together. So you are the handiwork of God. You have been prepared in advance to do the good works with God meant for you to do. Yet nobody's on the planet by accident. That's all by God's design. That is your personal interaction with God. Okay, ready? So you are a piece of God's handiwork, craftsmanship. You are a piece of art, Right? Some of us get that really well. Like, I think of myself as a finely chiseled piece of marbled art, right? That's right. God made this. Amen. So, right? So, that's true of you. That's true of your life and your heart and your soul. And and it's literally true. God thought of you, designed you, wove you together, built you, and you are an individual masterpiece of God. You're a piece of art. Ready? You are a piece of art that is also a piece of of a puzzle. You're a piece of art that is also a piece of a puzzle. God shaped you and formed you, and then out of the individual parts, God shapes and forms the body. He brought you together and makes a body for himself. You have an individual relationship with God, but you're also the church. When you accepted Christ as your savior, you became a part of the church. So God forms you, and then he forms the body. Your relationship with God is individual, and it's also corporate. 
God creates an entity called the church, the body of Christ. Now, let me show you this kind of clearly in Scripture. Grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs, and it's uh, page 799 in those Bibles. In fact, if you don't have a Bible or a newer copy of one, just take that with you. We'd love for you just to keep it, have it, write your name in it. If you uh, want to use an electronic device, uh, our app is the best way. Search Grace Ohio in the App Store and grab the app. Hit live and all the notes and everything are there, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Now, this is God using this word picture. So let's, let's read it together and you'll, you'll, it'll start to make sense to you. Ready? Here we go. Verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or, or Gentile, slave or free. And we are all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I, do not, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of sm- smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there is no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it, right? God uses this word picture. You are specially made by God, and you are a part of a puzzle, God crafted you, and then he creates you, and then he creates us. And in our relationship with God, I have a personal relationship with God, and I have a corporate relationship with God. I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of the church. Now, when God talks about the church, he talks about We often call it the universal church or the global church. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, who's received the forgiveness of their sin and repented of their sin and now lives for the one that died for them, is a part of the body of Christ. And then what the Bible does, the Bible teaches us that we are to form what we call local bodies of Christ, our local churches. And Grace Church of Greater Akron is a local church. We're a part of a whole, right? And then as an individual... The church is the sum total of its individual parts. I am a part of a local church that's a part of a global church, okay? I'm a part of the body. And by the way, that's why the church works the way that it does, okay? So the church is not a not-for-profit organization. The church is not a community activism organization. Church is not a political organization. It's not what it is. The reason that the church works the way that it works is because we're doing what God told us to do. So the Bible says that the church should organize itself. The church should have pastors and teachers and elders. That's all out of the Bible, right? By the way, you know why we get together? Uh, We get together because the Bible tells us to. Uh, God said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. 
So God said, get the, the local body. Should get, that's why we have church services. Uh, do you know why we have music and teaching? Because that's what the Bible said, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that's what the Bible says to do when we're together. We're, we're, to, we're to teach the word of God. So that's, all of this is God's design. It's not a man-made thing. It's not a human institution. This is all of us looking at the, the Bible and saying, what does God want his church to do? And then bringing that out in, into a, kind of a real way, right? So we gather together. Why do we gather together in a building, right? Why do we have a church building? Because we live in Northeast Ohio and it's freezing most of the time, right? So th this building is not sacred. The building is not the church. The building is where the church gathers. We have a building because it's cold outside and it rains, those kind of things. So it's, it's just a utilitarian function. We just need one. But you, I, we're the church. We're the body and we gather together and we serve together and do all the things we're gonna talk about, okay? So that's God's design. Now, this is a big deal, and it's a big deal to your personal interaction with God, because if you don't interact with God in the corporate way that God designs, then we can't interact with God in the individual way that God designs, because just as I receive my salvation, I become a part of the church, right? So I want to show you a couple of principles out of this passage I think will, will help us get the right perspective on the church and understand this more, and then we'll lock into it. Okay, so here's the first one. I put this in your notes. Because all this is true, it means this. It means that the shape of the body is God's design. The shape of the body is God's design. Spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and life experiences, this is all God's design. If you look back at chapter 12, you can look at uh, like verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If, we, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God designs us just like he designed you. And he's shaping the local church the way that he wants it to be. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of God doing that. Now, that truth has some pretty massive ramifications, okay? So let me show you some of these ramifications. Here's what this would mean. Because we're a part of a whole, it would mean this. It would mean that we belong to each other. We belong to each other. My relationship with God is not just my relationship with God, it's also my relationship with you. And your relationship with God is not just your relationship with God, it's your, it's your relationship with, with me. The, the me becomes we, because God forms us together. We belong to each other. In fact, the Bible says like with our spiritual gifts, we're to bring those spiritual gifts and we give them to the church. That doesn't mean like the church staff, that means us the church body, we bring those together, that God gave those so that we could serve each other. We are to share our lives with each other. We are to allow other people to share their lives with us, okay? And your walk with God affects my walk with God and vice versa, we affect each other. We spur one another on to good deeds. We help, we iron sharpens iron. We help each other grow spiritually. We love and we care for each other. And as you thrive spiritually, I thrive spiritually and vice versa. We belong to each other, okay? So when I think of the church, I think corporately. It's not just, there, there's no such thing as a solo interaction with God or an individual, I have an individual spirituality. It's not, you won't find that in the Bible. 
right? I have a personal relationship with God and then I'm woven into the body of Christ and we belong to each other. Here's the second ramification. The second ramification is this. It means that the body is to be invested in. So the church, being the church, is something that I own and that I invest in. In fact, the Bible goes so far to teach that I actually can't connect with God if I'm unwilling to connect with the church. There are 59 different commands in Scripture that we can't follow if we don't have a relationship with other Christians. So how do you pray with one another? How do you confess your sins to one another? How do you build each other up? How do you mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep? How does iron sharp? If I don't have other Christians in my life, I can't even obey God, okay? And in addition to this, remember the body is to be invested in, my investment or my tie to the church, to the body of Christ, is going to define or govern my closeness with Christ himself. I was talking to a guy one time, that was probably 15 years ago, he was mad at me about something. I'm like, you know, join the list. So he, he said, I need to talk to you, I'm upset. I'm like, okay. So we got together and we sat down and he actually wasn't, he was mad at somebody else and that turned into being mad at me, which always is weird how that works. But we were, we were sitting down and he was upset and we talked for a while and finally he got frustrated and he said, here's the bottom line, Pastor Jeff. He said, I love Jesus with all my heart, soul and mind and strength, but I hate the church. And I looked at him and I said, well, then you don't love Jesus. By the way, that didn't go over real well, but if I remember, but I said, you don't love Jesus. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you, you, you can't say you love me and hate Heidi. You, you can't say you love me and hate my wife. You can't say you love me and hate my family. Your ability to be close to me is directly tied to, to your willingness to embrace my family. Heidi and I are one thing. We're the same thing. You can't separate me from Heidi. I am one thing with my, I, I am Jeff, and then I'm also a part of my family. You can't, you can't hate my children and think that you're gonna be close to me. That, that's going to govern our relationship. It, it doesn't even make sense. You, you can't love Christ and despise his bride. You can't love Christ and despise his, his body, his family. It, it can't happen. So there's a very real sense that my spiritual depth is going to be governed by my embrace of the family of God. I, I, my commitment to work through the issues that I might have with someone else in the family, my commitment to be dedicated to the family of God, my commitment to serve in the family of God is directly tied to my ability to connect with the heart of God because you can't love a person and hate their family. It's going to stunt your ability to be close to them. The church is something that is worth investing in. The, the church is something in which we belong to each other. And then here's the last big ramification of that passage. The church is not solely for your benefit. In North America, we have a consumer mindset. By the way, just for the record, that's not a sin. It's just the way that we think. There's very appropriate places to have a consumer mindset. Consumer mindset is, I give you something, you give me something. And there's times that's very appropriate, right? 
If I want lunch meat, I don't go to the auto parts store to get it and then get upset, <laughs> right? So it, it's fine. It's no big deal. It only becomes a problem when I apply it to the, in the wrong way. And to approach the church with a consumer mindset would be the wrong way because it is me. I am it. And so in the church, we need each other. And it, the church isn't just for my benefit, okay? I need to serve you and you need to serve me and we need to serve each other. And there are times that I serve the people of the church and there are times that I am served by the church, right? So Heidi and I, two of our sons are on the junior high retreat right now. The, the, the people of the church are serving our family. They're giving of themselves for the benefit of us. Now there would be another time where our family might serve in a different way that so there's times that we need from the church and there's times that the church needs from us. And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about us, the people, right? I share my life with the people and, the peop and you share your life with each other. That's the way it works. We are one thing, okay? So this idea that God has shaped us, he brings us together he shaped you individually, and a part of that shape is he makes you part of the whole, that we belong to each other, right? That we, we give to each other. It's not just for my benefit. It's not a consumer mindset. And, and we invest in each other. And by the way, all of that generates love, and the Bible says that's how people will know we're disciples of Christ, is our love for one another. This unique loyalty and this unique investment and this, this weird commitment. Why? Because it's God's design. It's his design for me personally, and I'm only going to grow spiritually as I embrace and connect that design, all right? Now, here's another big idea that we need to walk away with with this. Because all of this is true and God shapes the body, he's putting the pieces together. It means this. It means there's no spare body parts. There's no spare body parts. Look at, uh, back at chapter 12. Chapter 12, like halfway through verse 24, you see it. God has put the body together, right? The parts should have equal concern for each other. Every part suffers, every part is honored. Verse 27, now you are a part of the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. There are no spare body parts. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, by virtue of having your sins forgiving and living for the one that died for you, you are a part of the church. You don't join, the church isn't this separate thing that enhances your spirituality. The, the church is who you become. You are a part of the body, okay? Now that has huge ramifications because it's God who forms it and you are a part of it, right? Now, let me, uh, let me take a quick survey. How many of you here think of Grace Church as your home? Just raise your hand. You say, this is my church, all right? And that's a shockingly low number, or people just don't want to raise their hands, right? So if you think, if you think of Grace Church as your home church, okay, this, I'm talking to you, right? Why is Grace your church? Why? Hmm. I never thought of that. Yeah, why is Grace your church? Hmm. It's close. Because it's close? Nope. It's not close? No, it's close. What? That's not the reason. Um, the music? I like, the, I like subwoofer. I am for subwoofer. Is that? No, it's not the subwoofer. 
The kids programs? Nope. Because the pastor's sexy? I don't know. <laughs> While true, not the, not the reason. Why, listen, Gra- Grace isn't the only good church in town. Grace isn't the only Bible teaching church in town. Grace isn't the only church with a, a clear mission and vision that is a good, healthy mission and vision. Grace is the only church with, with uh, good teaching and good music. There's other churches. In fact, we would see the, Joe Coffey, Tim Armstrong, the, the, uh, the pastor of Christ Community Chapel, pastor of the chapel, uh, Peter next door. We're, I'm good, we're all good friends. So why would you come here? How come when you came here, it clicked? How, how come when you walked in, you found something you've been looking for? How come the, the vision and the mission of grace it's not the only good one, so how come it clicked with you? How come the relationships that you enter, how come they clicked and all of a sudden you, what, what is all of that? And the Bible would say that is spiritual. That's not just proximity, that's not preference, it's not consumerism. There's something spiritual about that. Why, why would we somehow connect with each other? What, what is that about? Well, that is God forming the body of Christ. See, that, this, the scripture's really clear about this. It's not just me kind of going where I want to go and I'm sick of my old journey. How come our hearts are drawn? How come it clicks in a unique way? What strikes that tone? Well, it's the Lord looking and saying, I'm going to build for myself this local church. So now that has ramifications for you personally and me personally. That's what, this is what this means. This means that God is creating a local church for himself. We call that one Grace Church of Greater Akron. God is forming that church for himself and he has a vision and a mission for us as a church. There is something that God wants to accomplish in Akron and North America across the world and we have a small little part of it. We're part of the global church and God is creating us locally to do what he's called us to do. So why would God bring you then? God would look at you as an individual and say, I'm going to attach you to this body because this body cannot do what I've designed it to do unless you are a part of it. This body needs your spiritual gifts. It needs your personality, your passions, your abilities, your life experiences. I formed you, and I formed you uniquely and wonderfully and as a part of a whole. And what would draw you to a local church is not consumerism, it's Christ. We cannot be who God has called us to be unless you are a part of us. And then what happens is the inverse is also true. You cannot do what God has called you to do unless we are a part of you because we belong to each other. That's why we go to church together. That's why we're connected to each other. It's, it's bigger than, I like this person, or I have these preferences. See? Because there's a gazillion people and a gazillion preferences, and they honor Christ too, right? Why here? Why now? Why us? Because God is doing something. God is accomplishing something. And grace will grow and change as long as God is utilizing us for his purposes. That's why you're here. You're not here to fill a seat. 
right? You're not here. Filling seats is often what we have to work on. Go to Saturday night. There's an extension for a reason, right? You're not here to fill a seat. You're not here to throw money in a basket. Your giving is an act of obedience between you and God, not you and the church. Don't mistake that. If you want to rob God, that's your problem. That's not my problem. That's between you and God. Why are you here? Because we need each other. Because God has a purpose and a vision and a mission for us. God has formed us, right, to do what he's called us to do. That's why you're here. The shape of the church is God's design. And as God shapes the church, as he draws you in, that means that there, there's no like sitting it out, attending services, being glad the church is up to something. It doesn't work that way. It's not what, the, it's not what a church is. That's what a not-for-profit organization is. That's not what a church is. We are a spiritual family. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of God, okay? Now, God forms it, God shapes it, that's why you're here. So why does God do this? Why is it such a bit, because Jesus, Jesus created the church, started on the day of Pentecost, this is all Jesus's, this is what he's doing, we're just, we're just participating with him. So why is he doing this? What is the purpose of the church, okay? I want you to catch this. The church is a sum total of its individual parts, so what is the purpose of your life? The purpose of your life is to do the work of reconciliation and proclaim the message of reconciliation. That's why we're still on the planet, okay? To do the work of reconciliation and to, and to proclaim the message of reconciliation. The purpose of your life is to be an ambassador for Christ. Wherever you go, you're proclaiming the truth of who Christ is. The purpose of your life is to co-labor with Christ for the, in the rescue efforts of men's souls, Okay? That's you individually. That's what you're called to. That's why God saved you. That's what your big vision and, and mission is for life. The church is the sum total of its individual parts. If that is the purpose of your life, then that is the purpose of our life. The purpose of the church is the same purpose as the individual. God draws us together to utilize our collectiveness to amplify that purpose. The purpose of the church is to do the work of and proclaim the message of reconciliation. God did not give the church to the church. He gave the church to the world. The purpose of the church is to seek and to save the lost. The purpose of the church is to help the world reconcile to Christ. The purpose of the church is to serve as the doorway to God. When I'm looking for God, when I'm looking for help, when I'm looking for spiritual direction, when I'm trying to figure out how to have my sins forgiven, it would make sense that I would go to the church and the church would proclaim that and the church would make that make sense. That is the reason for the church, right? And guys, listen, churches who get off of that reason Churches who decide that the reason we exist is to get this guy elected or the reason we exist is to propagate this tradition or the reason that we exist is to be this pillar in culture. Churches that get off of that reason cease being the church of Jesus Christ. And you watch them. They will wither and they will die and eventually they'll run out of money and they'll close the building down. Why? Because it's not what they were created for. Uh, it's just like you. 
You're not created to consume God. We live for the one who died for us. We're created to do the work and proclaim the message of reconciliation. The same thing is true for us corporately. And that's the reason for there. God didn't give the church to the church. He gave the church to the world. And churches that live for the world, they thrive. They're exciting. They're alive. They're a blast. That's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to come to church and argue about whether I like the music or not. What's that got to do with anything? I don't want to come to church and critique the pastor. I've heard him talk about this before. It's funnier last time. What's that got to do with anything? I don't want to come to church and give my hard-earned money to keep the lights on in the church and do the maintenance in the parking lot. What's that got to do with anything? But if you talk about rescuing the souls of men and women, if you talk about changing people's lives, if you talk about causing marriages to be right, if you talk about feeding the poor, if you talk about changing the world, if you talk about planting churches in Muslim countries, I'll give that all day, every day. And if we need a parking lot and a building and lights, that's fine, it's no big deal because we don't exist for that. It's just a utility. That's where life comes from in a church. And by the way, that's where life will come from with you individually. Your life will pop that way because you're engaging your priesthood and you're engaging the body of Christ. And as you engage the body of Christ and pursue that priesthood, all of that will be life-giving and passionate. The church, the church is always at its finest when the hour is darkest. If there was ever a time for the church to give itself to the world, we're living in it right? Satan's on the move. Just turn the television on. It's all over the place. The culture that we're used to is on collapse. Evil is prevalent everywhere we go. And the response of the church is not a political response or a a defiant response in which we hate people who are sinners. The response of the church is a relentless, tenacious love. It's the work of reconciliation, That's the hill we die on. That's the thing we don't let go. That is the calling of you and the calling of us, right? And when Satan fights back, there's no surprise in that. When the the church gets hit or the church gets, the, the church ought to pop up with a fire in our eyes and go after the souls of men. You guys ever heard the phrase, uh, you ever heard somebody talk about an athlete and, and they'll say, that guy's motor never stops. You ever hear that phrase? That guy's motor, and it, it's a relentless athlete. Like, I'll just come out. Uh, our son Isaac is like this. Our son Isaac is 15 and he's got a motor that never stops. I was um, watching him play lacrosse last spring and this kid, <laughs> Isaac was trying to turn the corner and make this pass. This kid came around and just, kind of cheap shot him, kind of blindsided him, nailed him. Isaac came off of his feet, landed on the ground. All the, the whole crowd went, oh, like that, right? And I was standing next to this other dad that the, our kids play together, and I go, oh, man. I said, I feel for that kid. I feel for that kid. And the dad goes, oh, is your son hurt? I go, oh, not my son. I feel for the kid that just hit my son. My son's going to track that kid down. Like, that kid's game is over, right? Because he's relentless about it. And sure enough, he, Isaac never cheap-shotted him, but a, a, a 
a trigger went off in his brain. You want to play like that? Fine. You're done for the rest of the game. I am on. I don't think that kid got a pass off for the rest of the game. In fact, after the game was over, I watched the kid just throw his hands up and drop his head. He just, in defeat. Why? Because he decided, Isaac decided, no, no, no. You're going to knock me down. I'm going to spring up and I'm going to spring up with a passion. That's the way Isaac's wired. I love it about him. That's the church. We, we don't cower. We don't hide. We don't, we're not afraid. If God's before us, who's going to be against us? We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. The darker it gets, that little trigger needs to go off in us, in you, in me, and in us. Now is the hour for the church. Now is the hour of proclamation. Now is the hour of the work of reconciliation. And this has always been the role of the church. It's got nothing to do with coming inside on a sunny Sunday morning. What's that? What are you talking about? The gathering of the family. Why? To teach, to worship, to be together. For what? So we can go do the ministry of reconciliation. The calling on your life is the calling on our life. And God formed us to be effective at it. We need your spiritual gifts and yours and yours and your personality and your abilities and God forms us to be a part of it. Then we'll pool our resources, see? Sometimes we'll pool our money and we'll send a missionary to a place that not all of us can go. Sometimes we'll pool our thinking and we'll invent something. Sometimes we'll pool our volunteerism so we can, we can, we can connect with a bunch of junior high kids over the course of a weekend. The calling on your life is the calling on our lives. We are. God formed us. And when you accepted Christ, you accepted salvation, you were given the Holy Spirit, and you were called out. You were called out by God to form and to be his church. So what if? What if that's the way it works? What if you are eternal? What if no one in this room will ever die, but our souls will live on and we'll be with God in heaven or separated from him in hell? What if that's the true nature of man? What if your life is never meant to be lived for you? What if your life is meant to echo through eternity? And as we do the work of reconciliation, what if that investment pays off forever? What if you're custom built by God? What if he designed you to be successful at serving him? What if he even gifted you stuff to help you with that? But what if you're not just a solo piece of art? What if you are a beautiful piece of a puzzle? What if Christ builds his church? What if God draws us together? What if you need the church and the church needs you and me is really we? And that is a huge part of our relationship and our interaction with Christ. What if as a church we're not supposed to play church? What if as a church we're supposed to contend for the souls of humanity? And what if we as a church, what if what we do 
also echoes through eternity, right? Now think about it. If you think about your life, who told you about Christ? And who told them? And who told them? And who told them? And who? And if you could have a perfect perspective, you could trace your spiritual lineage all the way back. Who started Grace Church? And who started the church that started that church? And who started the church that started that church? And who started the church that started that church? Because God saved me and then God formed we. And what if my life is supposed to echo through eternity and what if our lives are supposed to echo through eternity? Somewhere there was a group of people who said, we belong to each other. This is the body of Christ. And we are going to do the work of reconciliation. And that group of people started a group of people. And that group of people started a group of people. And we are the evidence that what a church does is eternal in its nature. And just like I and you, we're going to drift into the pages of history. Two, three hundred years from now, nobody's going to know that we were around. Let's just be honest about it. But our lives are going to echo. The same thing's going to happen with the church. There's not one local church in the pages of Scripture that still exists today. Because the church doesn't exist for the church. The church exists for the world. Their work and their investment echoes forever. And as we give ourselves to the work of Christ, see, God brought us together and his work and his investment for his kingdom and his purposes, that will echo. We're the evidence of it. And two, three, four, five hundred years from now, if the Lord doesn't return, there will be another group that will be the evidence that God forms, God empowers, God shapes, God commissions his church. What if? What if? I'm going to ask the band to come out. And guys, I encourage you to, to download this, right, on, on, on many levels. If you have not locked into your priesthood and if you have never had this perspective of the church, let me tell you, you're, you're stunted in your growth with God. You're not going to go further because you can only embrace God to the depth that you embrace his family. So ask God to open up your heart. Ask him to open up your mind. And ask him to, to work in this area of your relationship with his bride, his family, his body. Jesus, we love you. God, we're grateful that you would love us so much that you would, you would call us out. You would create your church. God, help us to have the passion and the vision for your church that you want us to have. And God, just as we recognize your work in us as individuals, help us to recognize your work in us corporately. And the power, the hope, the wonder, the truth that is your church. God, in these difficult days, whether it's personal or what's going on in our world, let the, the love and the light and the truth of your church, God, let us be the counter to the, the hatred and the evil and the destruction of our enemy. Press into us deeply, God. Change us. And we love you. In your name, Jesus. 
Amen.